Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Hope Through Grief. I'm one of your co-hosts, Steve Smelsky, and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Marshall Adler. Hello, everybody. Hope you're doing well today. So today we have a special guest on. Her name is Bethany Adams, and we're going to talk a little bit today about uh, sibling loss. It's one of the things that we haven't touched on, and uh, we decided to see if Bethany would join us today. Bethany, I just want to thank you so much for agreeing to talk today and, and being our guest. And I just want to tell you that uh, for me, this will be a very insightful discussion because uh, I lost my son, Matt, two years ago when he was 32 years old. And his younger brother, David, is obviously in your position with losing a sibling. So I'd be very, very interested in any insights and comments you could give from a sibling's loss perspective. So again, thank you so much for agreeing to be our guest today. But if you could just start out and just tell us your story, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And thank you guys so much for having me on the podcast as well. It's really an honor for me to be able to share my story and to be able to have that go a little farther into the world. That's great. That's Um, great. So my name is Bethany, and I I lost my brother four years ago. It was July of 2016. I was in college. It was my second sophomore year of college. I had just finished my first semester of nursing school, so it was the summer after that, um, and I was at home. He was off working at camp. We spent a few, I think a month together. I got home in May. We spent about a month both together at home. He was in high school at the time, just graduating. Um, We had his high school graduation in May, and then he went off to camp, and I had a summer internship doing kind of summer summer camps for kids here in Houston. So fast forwarding a little bit to to June, it was Father's Day, um, and this is the last time that I actually really saw Hudson. So he had come home for Father's Day. He had real short weekends off at camp. Uh, So he'd come home for Father's Day and we went to the beach. And I just remember that being such a, I I think it really highlighted the fact that we were both very much in the same stage of life. He was kind of entering my stage. So for half of high school, we were kind of in the same stage. Um, And then we were kind of entering that again with college. So I remember just talking about college, giving him advice about college, uh, talking about his time at camp and just really relating to each other. Cause I don't think it was until we were teenagers that we started really, really relating to each other and feeling like we were in the same stage of life. But I just remember being out in the waves, me and him like went out and we were swimming, we were catching waves and then a storm kind of rolled in and we, we had to run, run out of the the ocean real fast, pack up all our stuff. He kind of, he was always super helpful. He'd always just kind of grab everything and go. And, and then he went off in his car and he ended up actually getting locked out of his car at a Whataburger and or, no, it was a James Coney, James Coney Island. And he, I, I didn't see him after that because he came home real late and then I had to go to work in the morning. 
So that was in June. And then in July was when everything happened. So I was at work and my mom called me and told me that she they were going up to camp to pick him up. And he had called a few days before. This was on a Monday. He had called on Friday and said he felt sick. And of course, <laughs> I was uh, just starting nursing school. So I was like thinking about everything. I was like, oh, what could it be? What, you know, I was like, oh, he's, he's sick. He had a headache. So I was kind of giving him my, <laughs> my advice. Oh, just take some ibuprofen and this. He was, it was just flu-like symptoms, really. Mm-hmm. So then on Monday was when the camp called my parents and told them to come pick him up. So I was at work and my mom said that they were going to pick him up. But at this point, we still didn't know that it was going to be as bad as it was. So they went. And when they got there, he was very much, you know, pretty much unresponsive. And so so that's when they called us and when we they called me and my older brother um, and we realized that it was more serious than we had thought. So I I was staying, I was with my little sister at the time she was 10. I was 20 years old. So I was staying with her and we were at some other friend's house. And I remember my mom called me and she said, we are going to be transferred to Houston. He's going to be life lighted. So I'm coming home if you want to meet me at home and then we can go to the hospital. And then we left my my sister with our friends. So it wasn't until three in the morning that he actually got to the hospital. Yes. And and at that Uh point, they thought it was meningitis. They were treating him for just a regular meningitis, which is which is what typically happens, I think. Yes. Um, so that was Monday night. And then Tuesday was when they actually did further testing and found that he had an amoeba in his brain. So at that point, um, I think they had kind of told us that this is, there's, there's not much else that they can do. And Yeah. yeah, I think throughout Monday night, there was still a lot of a lot of hope, but then Tuesday was when I realized. So I, I would say that whole thing was kind of a blur. <laughs> some of, some of it's mm-hmm. a little bit blurry in my memory. Mm-hmm. And I, and I don't, I think this is, I don't know if this is more of a sibling thing or if this is just me as an individual personality wise, I did not really want to go into the room i i it was really hard for me to see him like that and as it would be for anyone Mm -hmm. um but Mm -hmm. i i didn't spend much time in the actual hospital room i spent my time out in the lobby and i i spent a lot of time talking to his friends and we had a lot of people come through and i think that was the best thing for me at that time was just to just to really like to greet the people that came to to show their support and then uh to just also let them be a comforting presence 
for me. Um, and it's so that I could also be there for my parents. I do remember something just individually impactful. There was a nurse there that was, I told her that I was in nursing school. And I remember her sitting down and spending so much time. I mean, and now being a nurse myself, realizing like what a sacrifice that was for her. She spent some very individual time with me, talking to me about becoming a nurse, but also just talking me through what I was experiencing in that moment. So that was really impactful for me individually in my, in my journey of life and in my career. So he did pass away on Wednesday. And I remember at that moment, I was like, I can't, what do I do? I can't, I can't go back to college because I felt a lot of responsibility for my parents. I, there was a lot of fear there about what is this going to do to my parents? What's it going to do to them individually? What's it going to do to them together? What, what does this look like? I think that was one of my greatest fears as it was all happening. You know, is it going to completely destroy them as people? Like, are they going to be the same parents that I've known? And then also, I was worried about my sister because she was 10 years old. She was a lot younger than the rest of us. So how, how does that look for a child to go through this? And how is it going to affect her? And I think that was one of the hardest things, too, because we had to go home and and tell her on Tuesday, we had to go home and tell my sister. And I don't know that she really fully understood what was going on uh, before we went and had that conversation with her. So that sticks out in my mind as the hardest moment in all of it was going to tell my sister. So she didn't have any idea then, right? She, no, I don't think she knew how bad it was. And I don't think we knew how to include her on that. You were very close in age to Hudson, am I correct? You were a year apart? Yes, we were a year and a half, yep. So were you not only close in age, but close to him also from a relationship standpoint? Yes, yes. And we had kind of been developing that. Uh, I had I had graduated high school two years before, in 2014, and I had saved up a bunch of money for us to go and me and him to go travel to France. And that is one of my, I think that was a real, we kind of developed our relationship throughout high school because we started, like I said earlier, we started to really feel like we were in the same life stage at that point. Uh, Once we both were in high school, he was a freshman and I was a junior. And then that trip was a really, really impactful trip for our relationship and i mean it gave us so much to talk about over those next two years we were always talking about our trip and always talking about the memories we had because we spent there we spent a month there together so Uh, you went to france together for a month yeah that's That's wild the two of you yes and how old were you then you were nine i was 18 and he was 17 yes you did you did this by yourself yeah so we went we went and stayed. So our family hosted exchange students. And so we had hosted a student from over there. And so their family invited us to come stay with them. So we went on vacation with them. We 
Oh wow! Yeah, we had we had a blast. <laughs> it's one of my where, best memories ever. Where in France was that? Was it in the city or a rural area? Yes. Yeah, so we went to Paris. That's where they live. So we were there for a couple of weeks, and then for two weeks we went to the north. Uh, we went to Brittany, and that's where they uh, they go for their summer vacations, and it's a beach and it was it was a dream so <laughs> that's incredible you did this obviously thinking you would have a long life together as brother and sister never yes. thinking that oh, thank wow. god you did this as a memory that you'll have forever exactly wow. I think, you know i assumed we would obviously do more things like that it's i mean yeah i think well, that's so you guys I was going to I was going to say so you guys really got very close together then on that trip. Yes. Yes. That was a big bonding bonding moment for us. Yes. It's interesting that you mentioned worried about your parents and about your younger sister. It speaks well of you that you're concerned about your family versus yourself, but before I ask you about how you're doing with everything, four years out now, how are your parents doing? And how are, how is your younger sister doing with the concerns you had when he Hudson first passed away? Yeah, I think it's interesting. It so I think it was real real difficult there for the first two years. I do think there were some some very marked changes that I saw in my parents and my my sister it's so (laughs) hard for me to tell because she isn't she's been going through that kind of middle school stage now she's a freshman in high school um and and she's also not she's not one that talks about her emotions a lot um so her age combined with her personality it makes it hard for me to know exactly what's going on with her and she she will say things which is interesting. You just forget what it was like to be a kid. She'll say, like, I don't even I don't remember him that well, which I guess when you're younger, it's it's different. Because mm-hmm. if I think about somebody that died when I was 10 years old, it would be a whole different experience than somebody that died when I was 20 years old. Right. right. Uh, so that's that's interesting to me. I mean, she remembers him, but just in a very different way than I do. Did you talk a lot to your parents and to your siblings about the loss? Not, not really. Not really. I, I was telling Steve this uh, the other day. It's, it's interesting because I don't mind talking about it. I'll talk to my friends about it. I'll write about it. I'll share about it. But it's hardest to talk to my family about it. Why is that? I think. Oh man, that's a good that's a good question. I'm trying to pinpoint exactly why. I think it's just I'm scared to bring up that emotion. Like if I and again, this is probably a personality thing for me because, you know, for example, my dad is not afraid of that kind of emotion and delving into it. I'm a little bit more wary of it. Um, and I can almost 
if I'm talking to more of an outside party, I can detach from it, detach from the emotional side of it. If I'm talking to my family, I can't detach from the emotional side of it because I see their emotion and I, it's just too close to, I don't know. It's, it's, it's more difficult for me. Have you gone to support groups for yourself, either with your family or on your own? I, I have not, I've done some individual counseling which has been really helpful for me um, just to process things with a completely outside third party. So that's been really helpful for me in just navigating these last few years. Um, I would, I would recommend that to anyone, but I also found that my, my friends were, were a good emotional support were, were they afraid to bring it up or they actually were pretty good at talking about it with you? Because we've noticed some of our friends, they, they won't bring it up because they're afraid it'll hurt us. And, and Yes. I think I had – so I had one friend that I actually wasn't super close with before everything happened. Um, and she stepped in. I mean, she – some people just know what to do. Yeah. Some people know what to do and some people don't. And I don't really blame my friends that didn't know what to do. Cause that's just, I'm really, honestly, I'm that person that don't, doesn't know what to do still. <laughs> it's interesting. Like, <laughs> I, I've had this experience and it, it makes me better, but naturally I am that person that kind of doesn't know what to do and doesn't know exactly how to help someone. Which it's it's just a weird. It's been an interesting discovery that I found for myself. But I had a friend who just. I mean, she was every single day. She was calling me. She would come over. She would help me. So I did. I did decide to go back to college that next semester. That's kind of where. I didn't know what to do. I thought maybe I needed to stay home and be that support because I was always as a kid kind of felt kind of responsible. Like I need to, I need to make sure everybody's okay. That was just kind of my role in the family. That was, I'm very much a peacemaker. Need to make sure everybody's at peace. Everybody's okay. Everybody's getting along with each other. So I felt like I needed to do that, but I got some, a lot of outside advice and they were like, you do need, it, it would probably be best for you to go back to college. Yes. You know, and not that, it's different for everyone, but just people that knew me were saying this for you individually, this is probably the best thing. So anyway, so my friend, she helped me pack up for college. Like I didn't, I was like, I can't even like, how do I even begin to do that? That was the last thing that I could even begin to think about doing. So she, she helped me with a lot of practical things and she also would call me every day asking me how I was doing oh, wow. which was really. And it was interesting. Cause like I said, we were, this was not my closest friend before this was, this was someone I just kind of had known and we would meet up every once in a while, but, but she really, really stepped up as a friend and was, was that support that I needed in those first 
days. Are you guys close now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so then we spent a summer together. We worked together the next summer, and now we very much are. It's interesting you mentioned that because my son, Matt, died by suicide. And we're Jewish, and when somebody passes in the Jewish religion, you have the funeral very quickly. And my mother passed away two days after my son did. Oh, wow. So I lost my mother and my son within 48 hours. So we had to do two funerals, two eulogies, two obituaries. It was just unbelievable. Then my best friend from 50 years in Buffalo, who knew my mother and my son very well, he passed away too. So I had three incredible losses within weeks of each other. So it was just unbelievable. And we knew, for me, I had to be very vocal. I'm a lawyer. I like speaking. I get. I, it's my job to speak. So I talked to the rabbi, and I told the rabbi at the funeral that we want to be very honest and open about Matt's life, but also his passing. And I found it very helpful to talk to people about it. And for the first two weeks, I couldn't talk to anybody. I must have had 100 emails, voicemails, letters, calls. I couldn't return any of them. So I couldn't talk to anybody for two weeks. Since then, I'll talk to everybody and anybody. Obviously, I'm doing this where anybody in the world could hear this. I mean, obviously, so I found it very helpful, but I can sort of see what you're saying, that I've been surprised on the upside and surprised on the downside from people willing to step up and sort of help you on that journey. And it's, I'm not judging anybody, but it's just not what you expect. If you had that same feeling that you've been on the upside and the downside, just, just surprised. Yes, yes, it is. And I think I've talked to several, it's interesting, I've come across since, since this happened, I've come across quite a few people my age that have lost siblings, not on purpose, but just incidentally, people I work with or people in college. Anyone I've talked to has said said very similar things. You just are surprised who, I mean, sometimes comes out of the woodwork and is just there for you. And then who you maybe thought was going to be there for you. And maybe they just have a personality that they don't know what to do. It's just uncomfortable for them. And so I've had to learn, okay, I mean, this is, it just is what it is. This is who... Right. Who I can right. rely on that kind of support from. And this is who maybe that's, I'm not going to get that from, but you know, their friendship serves a different purpose and that's okay. But I wanted to go back and ask, so you talked about how difficult it is to share with the family, but you feel open to talking to others. I think Shelly and I are actually easier talking to others about yeah. it than we are talk because I think for us, we both go to that very, very painful emotional part, and you don't always want to go back there. Exactly. <laughs> okay. I was kind of curious. That's exactly it. I, If I am to talk, to, like if I were to really delve into it with my mom or with my dad or with my siblings, it brings me all the way back to almost what I felt then and you yeah. kind of just naturally don't want to feel that again 
I mean, like I said, everyone's different. I think if, like I said, my dad is much more comfortable with that. He's much more comfortable with that. And I think if we were more comfortable with it, he would, he would be happy to talk to us about it. But I, it's hard to go back to that place. I totally get it. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned that because I've said this story a few times before. After Matt passed, I was, I think it was about a year later, I was in the car waiting to go through a drive-thru bank and I heard on the radio the funeral for John McCain who died from a glioblastoma brain tumor. And his good friend that gave him his eulogy was Joe Biden. McCain was a conservative Republican and Joe Biden was a liberal Democrat and they were best of friends. And McCain specifically asked for Joe Biden because the glioblastoma brain tumor, it's a, you know, the prognosis being a nurse is horrific. I've had multiple friends of mine die from glioblastoma brain tumors, just a horrible disease. And I was in the line and I just veered off and went over to the parking lot where I would just turn the car off. And I knew Biden lost a wife and two children. And I know this guy knows grief. You know, I'll, I'll just say I'm, I'm a Democrat and I'm voting for Biden. That's an aside, but totally separate and apart from that, this guy knows grief. And I've always respected what he said about it. And what he said, he turned to the McCain family and he said that, he said, I promise you there will be a day where the tear in the eye will become a smile on the face. And that really resonated with me and hit me because my son, Matt, was really funny. He was a really funny guy. And he made me laugh for the 32 years he was on this planet. You know, my mother lived to 93. My father lived to 91. So I just assumed my son was going to live to his 90s. But I lost two brothers. I had two brothers pass. I didn't know either one of them. They were very young, and I didn't know either one. I was just too young. One was older than me, one was younger than me. So my parents talked about losing children. So I knew it could happen. But again, I never thought it would happen to me because I said my parents lost children. What are the odds of us losing a child be astronomically minuscule, which obviously made no sense. It's either 100% or zero. Either lost a child or you didn't. It was 100% we lost our child. So when it happened, I obviously was so devastated. And it's something that, like, last week was the high holidays for the Jewish religion. It's called Yom Kippur. And the rabbi... They always have a prayer that says, it's already written, who shall live, who shall die for the coming year. And the rabbi made an interesting comment in his sermon. He said, if five years ago I told some of you people in the congregation that have had horrific loss, that this was going to happen to you, 
you would have told me, I can't go on. I would never be able to survive that. And he goes, but you had the loss. You have gone on and you survived. So when it first happens, you don't think you are able to survive. And then when you realize you have to survive as a tribute to your lost loved one, but it sort of changed for me that I know thinking about Matt, it can take you to that time where you just feel that we're, you have the loss. But on the other hand, I like the laughter, all the funny stories, all the interesting things he was doing, all the conversations about philosophy and the origins of the universe and and the cosmic meaning of some Beatles song. Seriously, I don't want to lose that. And so it's all sort of bundled up in the same package. So I'm almost saying I'm fine with paying the price when you get that wave of grief. Like it just, you know, Steve and I talked about this before that as I guess the time goes on, you can tell me more, probably more than I can tell you because you're farther out. The frequency of the waves become less, but the wave height doesn't change. When, you, when I get hit with that grief, it's been over two years now. It's like it just happened. But I'm willing to pay that price to sort of get the good feeling of the laughter and the love and the um, sense of oneness that I still have. Does this make any sense at all? I mean, did you, did you have that feeling at all? It makes a lot of sense. I really, I, I appreciate that perspective a lot because I think that is, that is a part that I, with my more natural tendency to avoid going to that place, I do lose that, that sense of really that sense of just remembering him in a more full way, remembering, you know, how his sense of humor, remembering the times we laughed at and just having those more clear memories and letting those come into my mind with that. Like you said, it goes together. You really remember the joy and then you feel the pain because, Mm -hmm. because the joy was so good. Uh, So it makes, that makes a lot of sense. How have you been able to talk to other people that lost siblings? Because, you know, my, my son, David, had a real interesting comment. He lost his brother, just like you did. And he said that he knows when parents lose a child, the natural inclination is to give all the sympathy to the parents. And the sibling hopefully will live decades longer than the parents and will be grieving this loss decades longer than the parents. And also, you know, he mentioned that he would love to have his children meet his really, he's not married, doesn't have children, but in the future to meet his really funny brother and their funny uncle, Matt, because he'd be a great uncle. He'd be loving, he'd be hilarious, and he'd be a good time uncle to have. And that's never going to happen. And that is something that I think siblings who lost siblings would connect with. Am I right about that? 
Yes, absolutely. I think the way I've heard it phrased, it's a loss of an entire lifetime. You you just assume that you're going to have an, you know, especially with a sibling that's as close in age as Hudson was to me, you assume that you're going to go through these stages of life together. And that, yeah, that your kids are going to know, you know, have him as an uncle and I'm going to be an aunt to his nieces and nephew, I mean, to his kids. And uh, yeah, and to traveling, you know, that's another thing because I really did. I enjoyed traveling with them. There were a lot of things that we enjoyed doing together. Uh, So it is, it's, it's not something you think about maybe even less so than a parent. I don't know. It's, I've never been a parent, so I I can't speak for parents, but I would assume that siblings probably think even less of the possibility of losing their perfectly healthy sibling. Right. Do you talk to your parents about that at all? Um, about the loss of what you expected to to happen but won't happen now because of the passing. I mean, it's it's like the loss of realized potential. You know, everybody's got potential. Some people realize it, some people don't. And when you have a child, a brother, whatever, you just see, well, this is the potential, and you want to see how life turns out to see where that potential is reached. It's my life sort of fascinating. And when you lose somebody, you don't even get to experience that. Yeah. And as a parent... That is a huge factor for me because I, again, Steve and I have become very close. We both lost sons. Jordan was 11 and Matt was 32. And I did see Matt turn into a man. He lived a full life. It was just too darn short. Where, unfortunately, Jordan didn't have that opportunity. So... As a parent, I really feel that. Do you talk to your parents about that at all, about, about your sense of loss from the standpoint of a sibling potential that would not be realized? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I don't know that I've had any extended, com- I've, I think I've mentioned that before to them. And I do a lot of my processing through writing. So as you guys know already, mm-hmm. and so I... I do. I'm an internal processor for sure. Um, so I do a lot of thinking about that and I have mentioned it to my parents, maybe not in depth, um, but I do a lot of thinking about, I mean, really even imagining him like, I don't know, sitting, sitting across from me at the table and us, you know, what would we be talking about? What would, what would he be doing now? What would he be, would he have a girlfriend? You know, what, what what would be happening um and just because we are we were in such a similar life stage i can kind of imagine what he might have been doing and it's just yeah that's a that is a hard thing to cope with just just to know that 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 was lost And, and i think i've gone through so many transitions since since my brother's death, even over four years, I've graduated college. I studied abroad in another country, and then I have had two different jobs out of school already. So I've gone through all these transitions. 
And I can imagine the transitions he would have gone through and the things he would have done and the ways he would have changed. And, you know, sometimes I just wish I could just tell him about what's going on in my life right. or reminisce right. on our trip or, cause we used to do that. We used to sit here. I remember doing it that summer before, uh, before he went off to camp, we sat and we reminisced for like two hours one night about our, our France trip just cause it was right. such, such a memorable oh. time for both of us. And we did a lot of, we kind of shared a similar sense of humor, just, a lot of observing people and just kind kind of finding the funny little things and in, in everyday life, especially when you, when you go to another culture, uh, to another country and you don't speak the language and kind of navigating through that makes for a lot of funny memories that we, <laughs> I bet. Yeah. So you were closer to, uh, Hudson than you were to Benjamin and Noel, right? So were you two, did you like lean on each other all the time? How's that been since? Yeah, I I would say maybe I'm close to all my siblings in a different way. So like, there's not one that I, I I'm giving a politically correct answer. It's not meant to be that way, but mm. <laughs> but it really I, I really do feel this way because me and Benjamin were closer when we were younger, um, and now we've gotten closer again. But for that kind of teenage period where we've got very different personalities, he likes conflict, I don't, you know, those kind of things. So it's kind of like a personality clash with me and Benjamin. Hudson was always very mellow like me, so it never was a problem. Um, but when, when me and Benjamin were younger, we were closer because we were we were older, maybe more similar in maturity. Hudson was kind of a, <laughs> a goofy little kid and so i guess when we were younger it was always kind of me and benjamin were the older more mature ones and then hudson was kind of the younger sibling and then i would say i'm very i'm definitely very close with my sister too but it's just a different relationship it's almost feels a little more uh sometimes i feel more maternal with her like just because i'm so much older than her and i remember her being born and i would take care of her when she was a baby you know just like it's different. Yeah. But me and Hudson were more peers. We were, we were in the same, really in the same stage. And so I think maybe we related more as far as just life experience. And we related on personality, just how we, how we interact with people. And we were just both kind of mellow, kind of easygoing, like, so that's what made us really good travel buddies. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. How do you think you've changed? Obviously, you, you know, when you mentioned your parents, I could relate to that because, you know, I, I've said this multiple times that when you lose a child, the person that existed before that is just not there anymore. You can't say, oh, I lost a child. I'm the same person. You're not. It's just you 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 were going to change. It doesn't mean you can't leave lead a happy, productive, meaningful, significant life, helping people, helping your loved ones, helping yourself, and helping humanity, and making your life a tribute to your lost loved one. But it's different. So I know how it's different as a parent that loses a child. How is it different? You seem like such a nice 
person and you do seem very mellow and you're, you know, we just met 45 minutes ago and I always feel like you're a very easy person to talk to and very open. So I don't know how you've changed, but I'd be interested in how you have changed since the passing of your brother. Yeah. So that's, that's an interesting question. I have one, one way that I've changed that I very much can identify, but before I talk about that, it's, it's interesting losing a sibling as in, like I was talking about all the transitions I've gone through since, like in such a transitory period Mm -hmm. of your life where you are already changing and like having Mm -hmm. that as a part of or a big part of already going through changing period you know it's just it's just an added an added part of becoming who you're going to be but um, I think the very very distinct way that I changed um, I used to be extremely focused on my academics I absolutely must make all A's I would just stress myself I mean just really really stress myself out over that to the point where I didn't let myself enjoy, uh, it it just enjoy life sometimes. Like I remember my first two years of college before this happened, it was just like, my focus was just different in general. My, my view on life, it was like, I need to be successful and I need to achieve and I need to, to make all A's. And it was kind of the end all be all. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't think that I completely didn't have any other values in my life, but it's just, that just felt really important. And I think this, this happening, I mean, of course I still, still wanted to do well, but I realized like, who cares if I make a B, you know, like life is to be enjoyed. Right. You know, what's, what's the point if I'm just, I come home for, you know, I remember the spring break before he, you know, I have a lot of regrets about this. He, uh, he was playing baseball and I remember I missed out on his, I I didn't do anything. I came home and I studied for a week. I didn't, I didn't even try to spend time with anyone. I just was like, I need to study. And looking back, I, I can tell you that I did not need to do that but that I just felt so important. That was my priority. And so I think my priorities changed. Uh, my priorities have shifted to, okay, if something is taking me completely away from being able to enjoy life, being able to spend quality time with people, uh, being able to go on trips, you know, like I just got went on and be out in nature and all those things that really, you know, I think at the end of your life, you look back on that and you, you don't regret that, but you do regret maybe the times where you neglected that. Anyways, I just think all of those things are really, I've, my focus has really shifted to being more focused on what are the things that are going to make my life meaningful versus just what's going to make me look good. (laughs) Basically, basically that was kind of my focus at that point in my life. And in high school too, I was very achievement driven. So the next two years of college, I actually found, I just enjoyed myself so much more because I just had a different perspective. So 
And I had just, I was able to let myself let go of like, I need to do everything perfectly. Because I, I guess I realized that's not what, what matters. Like looking back, me coming home and spending the whole spring break studying, I regret that. I regret doing that instead of just letting myself enjoy some time with my family and go to my brother's baseball games. And so. It's interesting you mentioned that because, you know, as a lawyer, deferred gratification is sort of in our DNA. You know, there's an old saying that the law is a jealous mistress. Like, it's, and I didn't make that up. It's an old, old, old saying because there's always more work. And I didn't make that up, okay? But my wife wouldn't like that. But there's always more work to do. There's always another case to deal with. And I've seen lawyers work seven days a week in the office, working at night. And I decided, I went to law school at Duke, Duke Law School. Very intense place, great basketball, but very intense I ended up loving it there. And like you, I sort of reached the point where I said, I'll do the best I can, but I can't defer gratification because, again, nobody in their deathbed is going to say, boy, I wish I put more hours in the office. Who cares? It's irrelevant. All that money, it's transitory. You're not taking it with you. The most important thing are not things. It's time. And when you lose a close loved one, you realize we're all here for a short time. You better make it a good time. And, you know, I've talked this before. My father lived to 93. He was a B-24 bombardier during World War II. He did 51 missions in the Pacific Theater against the Japanese. Could have died God knows how many times, but he was the happiest guy in the world because he just was present-oriented. He, whenever he wanted, we went to football games from Buffalo, big Buffalo Bills fans. I watched Bills games with him, even though he had Alzheimer's, till the end of his life, and he loved it. It was just time to watch the Bills. Let's watch the game. Everything else was irrelevant. Just have fun with the game. And he knew he was dying from Alzheimer's, but that wouldn't prevent him from enjoying the game because he was present-oriented. And I think there's a illusion and delusion that you can have saying, oh, if I do this, this, and this correctly, and I'm the best lawyer or best nurse or whatever, then I can deal with these other things and it'll all be fine. I can control that and there'll be no problem. I'll get to it when I get to it. You can't. There's no control. You didn't know you were going to lose your brother. I didn't know I was going to lose my son. Steve didn't know I was going to lose his son. And that's life. And, and, and you know, we're talking to people now throughout the whole world that – have probably experienced that. And some people might be listening to this right now that hopefully they'll understand it may not have happened to them yet, but it could. And and, and it will. Like, we're in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. You know, I'm preaching the choir here. You're a nurse. You, you know this. And you talk about unexpected loss and people not realizing, oh, I could have, should have, would have spent more time with this person because they're gone now. That's applies to everybody. So I think the lesson you learned is a great lesson. And some people never learn it. 
And it's wonderful that you have learned it at your young age because you've got a long, hopefully, you know, healthy life life ahead of you. And that's a lesson that will be with you for the rest of your life. And I think it's a really important lesson to take with you. So I, I commend you for doing that. Yes. So I, I am very thankful to have to have learned that lesson because I just I look back on on how I was before and how kind of miserable I would make myself over trying to achieve and right yeah you know my I think I could I could still be like that with my job you know working a lot of overtime or just trying to make more money or whatever it is but you know my, my father he just was a funny guy and I remember on my first year in law school I just told my dad I said I hate this. I'm just working 24-7. And I go, is this what I'm going to do for the next 60 years? And he goes, don't work 24-7. Do the best you can. And as long as they don't throw you out, don't worry about it. And as, as it turns out, nobody gets thrown out of law school if you do any type of work that they ask you to do. And he said, he goes, you know, where you end up with your class ranking who cares? It's like I practiced for 40 years. Nobody asked me where was my class ranking? Can I help them with their problem? With you at the hospital, does some patients say, well, what did you get in biochemistry grade? <laughs> no. <laughs> nobody cares. Nobody knows. You're there to help people. And I think that's the lesson to learn. And when you lose a loved one, I think you realize you know, the most important things in life are not things, it's loved ones and time. That's exactly right. Amen. So, Bethany, your dad sent me a link to a song that you wrote. Mm-hmm. I actually sat right there and watched it three times right in a row because the camera is focused on you and Hudson's in the background. And you called the song Friend Like You. Mm-hmm. Did you write it about Hudson? I did not. I, I called. I called your dad back to find out because I said I was looking at the look on his face, and it was like he realized during the song. And yeah, so I wanted to ask. Yeah, so I actually I wrote that song about another friend who uh, has been a, a lifelong friend for me. That was kind of what was on my mind when I wrote the song. But it's really symbolic, especially watching that video now. It's, it really does truly feel symbolic to me of me and Hudson's relationship because music was another thing that we really bonded over. He played the guitar. We, he, we both played piano, but I played piano more, more so and he was more into his guitar. Um, so that is something that we really bonded over. To, so to watch that video, to hear the words and words that really do describe you know, kind of our friendship as brother and sister. Um, and then to see us doing something we love to do together. It's really, really meaningful. So I'm, I'm really thankful that that, that got videoed. Thankful oh, for was, my dad. It, oh, it's, it's a great video. video. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> um, but 
it, it really took me. I went back and I, I called your dad and I said, look at, I, I think it was like 48 seconds. I said, Hudson's looking at Bethany and it's like he's trying to decide if the song is about him. He goes, <laughs> I never noticed that. And yeah. so I didn't know if that was the case or not, but I think it dawned on him as you guys were playing together. Yeah. Yeah. Because it did fit for the two of you as well. Yes. And he, it was interesting. I remember that. I remember because he would come and he would try to like, so I would be playing, but he would be figuring out the the chords and everything uh, while I was playing and kind of just join right on in. So that was always, that was always a lot of fun. Um, I remember having lots of, lots of moments like that. And he had another friend who played a trombone. So we would, we would, we would uh, play trombone, piano and guitar together. And I remember just, we had, we had some fun times. So, yeah. Music's great like that. It's the universal connection. Yeah. Yeah. That that it just, you know, I think about with Matt, I was a huge Beatles fan. Matt was a huge Beatles fan. We had a connection there. He had other musical tastes that I never heard of, couldn't get into, <laughs> never would like, but we had an intersection our whole lives. And that's something that you'll have as a memory, which is just wonderful. Cause I mean, music takes you places emotionally, intellectually. It's, it's wonderful like that. It, it just transports you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Are you still playing music and writing and singing and doing? Well, I haven't been doing as much uh, writing as I used to do, um, but I do. I do like to play the piano a lot. Still, I I played a lot of classical piano in high school, and I just really don't want to lose that because because wow. I just feel like you know, just thinking about like, okay, what makes my life meaningful? What what is going to make just make for a meaningful life. And I think, I think of specific things, spending time playing music is really important for me. And it, like you said, can really be a connection with other people being in nature is another thing. Just being out. Yes. Yes. You know, these are all my best memories revolve around that or eating together, eating good food. That's another one. You know, so I've been thinking more recently just about, what are the specific things that I want to do more of in my life? And those, those are three that I can really pinpoint off the top of my head. But music is one that I, it would be easy for me to lose if I didn't, if I didn't play enough. And I, I don't play enough, really, but I try to keep up with that. I'm almost 40 years older than you, and I agree with everything you said Food, music, and nature yeah. <laughs> are about three of the most important things in the world. Seriously. Yeah. All these other things, you know, the job, again, you've got an important job, people depending on you. I've got an important job, people depending on me. Steve had an important job, depending people depending on him. It's all important, but it's not the most important aspect of your life. It is a important part of your life, but you got to realize there are other things that truly are more important. And you got to put those on the front burner because the work is always going to be there. Do the best you can, be the best nurse you can, help people. But you want to be eating, having music and nature in your life, which is really, really, really important. Yes, absolutely. 
I'd like to commend you for learning 40 years quicker than right. we've done right. what's really important. You'd be quicker on the uptake than we are. Well, the, oh, man. well, again, I just want to thank you so much for giving us insight today because for me, it's – I was really looking forward to this conversation because – You've got a unique perspective that I don't have. Yeah. Plus, I'll tell you, I'm not trying to be funny here. You're an excellent guest. You're very well-spoken. You're very intelligent. You're very open. You're very insightful, which is a pleasure for me to hear this because it's just educating me. Seriously, you know, I want to keep on learning until I take my last breath. There's a whole world of things I don't know about, and this is something I want to learn about. Obviously, I lost my son, and I want to learn as much as I can how siblings are affected by this. And having your perspective has really enlightened me a lot. So, again, I can't thank you enough for willing to open up and be such a great guest. Well, absolutely. And yeah, thank again, thank you guys for allowing me a platform to be able to talk about be able to talk about this and to share because it's well, the, ple- the pleasure has been all of ours for uh, having you on and, and just coming to share. Um, it's a tough subject and a tough yeah. topic to talk about. Sometimes you had said before that you would allow us to put your uh, writing reflections about your relationship with uh, Hudson on our blog. Are you okay if we do that? Because absolutely, yeah. I'd like to tell everybody to go ahead and yeah. check it out on the website. So I think they're going to enjoy it because I went through it a couple of times. It was really well written. So we'd like to thank you for coming on today. And any any one last thought that you'd like to share with us before we sign off? One last thought. No, I think, you know, the, the conversation, it, it, it took a turn that I really, really enjoyed just talking about just the meaning of life and kind of what, what matters most. And that's something I'm really passionate about. So that's kind of, you know, a takeaway that I would want people to have. It's just, you know, time with people. We talked about music, food, nature those kind of things those those are what matter um and i really i really appreciate that our that our conversation that we that we got to talk about that because yeah it's really well, important to me well thank you it's important to me also it meant yeah, a lot to me meant a lot to me thank you yes, so much Th- thank you for coming on today and we'd like to thank everybody for joining us today on hope through grief thank you very much everybody have a good week Thank you for joining us on Hope Through Grief with your co-hosts, Marshall Adler and Steve Smelsky. We hope our episode today was helpful and informative. Since we are not medical or mental health professionals, we cannot and will not provide any medical, psychological, or mental health advice. Therefore, if you or anyone you know requires medical or mental health treatment, please contact a medical or mental health professional immediately.